Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Hey, church, how are we doing this morning? Everybody doing well? Can you help me do one thing? Can we welcome all of our online guests and all the campuses at OP? They call that the Pentecostal campus at JC, Julianton Creek, that you know, the Jesus Christ campus. So glad you're with us this morning. Uh, it's going to be a great day. My name is Layton. Uh, have the privilege and honor to be one of our riot pastors. And yep, they're right over here hanging out. The crazy ones. So if you ever hear noise, it's riot. You know, just, just know it's a riot. Uh, before I move any further, um, I'm going to have you do two things. First of all, today is my dad's birthday. He was with me from South Carolina. He's up here on the second row. Can we wish my dad a happy birthday? Love you, dad. You're amazing. And uh, I got to give honor where honor is due. I want to thank Pastor Stovall, uh, first of all, for letting us be a part of this church. This is a miracle. I've said it every single time I get to be up here. What we're a part of is not ordinary. It is not normal. It is a miracle what God is doing in Jacksonville, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, all over the world. And uh, we serve a great pastor and great leader. So can we give honor to our pastor, Pastor Stovall, Pastor Kerry? Love them. I do hear this is the loudest can this is the loudest service. Is that true? Is this the loud service? In, in the in the first service, they didn't really preach back as much as you, you know, you guys do. Um, I'm gonna hear a lot of preacher white boys in this service. Gonna hear a lot of amens, gonna hear a lot of highs, the you know, the hanky, Sylvia, I got you over here. It's gonna be fun. Let's go to the Bible. If you got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter six. Right now we're in the middle of our series road trip. Anybody enjoying the series road trip? Two people, come on. It's going to be a fun morning. John chapter 6, when you get to verse 5, say, Jags are making the playoffs. Maybe winning the finals like LeBron James. LeBron James. John chapter 6, we'll start in verse 5. It says, when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered, he said, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each of them just to have a bite. And then another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, well, here's a small boy, and he's got five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many people? can't do that much. Jesus said, well, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and, he, and then they sat down. It says there were about 5,000 men there. Verse 11, we're going to bring our attention to this verse a lot today. Verse 11, it says, then Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. Took the loaves, first thing he did was he gave thanks. Then he distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. In verse 12, when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14, it says, after the people saw the sign, of Jesus, the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Surely this is the one. Some of you may know this story. It's referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. 
This story is really interesting because you can find it in all four Gospels. It's in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today we're going to read from John because I think a lot of times when you hear this story, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, there, there are probably a few perspectives you've heard. How Jesus took two fish and five loaves and fed 5,000 people, incredible miracle. Maybe the perspective of how Jesus used the disciples to hand out the miracle, that he, he began it, but then he used the disciples to hand out the work of God. There's all those perspectives. But in the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it never says where the fish and the loaves came from. All it says is Jesus had fish and loaves and then he produced a miracle. But in John, he records something different. And he said there was a small boy who had two fish and five loaves, and this is where Jesus first got his meal. So this morning, I don't wanna look at just the perspective of Jesus or the perspective of the disciples. I actually wanna look at what part did the little boy play in this miracle? What did this small boy with two fish and five loaves, what was his part in this story that we read in John chapter six? If you're taking notes, I wanna to preach to you from a message that I've entitled, Mooching for Miracles. I'll say it again, mooching for miracles. Why don't we pray? Lord, we love you. We thank you for uh, who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is above all, like Pastor Keith said. He is good. He is great. He is mighty to be praised. Lord, we just thank you for, for the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to all of us. We will take the back seat and we ask that your presence takes the front seat. We decrease so that you can increase. Lord, I pray right now, I prayed for it in the first service, but I pray again for the Golden State Warriors, Lord, comfort their hearts, send them Kevin Durant so no more championships can go to Cleveland and LeBron James, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm a Michael Jordan fan, as you can see. Yeah, so are you. A lot of, all the young guns, they think LeBron James is everything. I love you, LeBron, praying for you, you're amazing, um, but go MJ. Moving on. Moving on, I got a question by a show of hands. How many of you, you know what a moocher is? You know what a moocher is? Okay, better question, even further question. How many of you, you have a friend, you have a coworker, you have someone in your life who's a moocher? Okay, I'm not seeing every hand be raised. I'm not seeing every hand raised. And, and I would say this, if you don't know a moocher, you might be the moocher. <laughs> I mean, I can't. Your spouse or your friends could say more than I could, but there should be everybody's hands raised in here. I know a lot of moochers. And when you think about a moocher, if you don't know what a moocher is, here's kind of what they look like. And they, they kind of reach their peak in high school and college, Riot. You guys, a lot of you are moochers. Just kidding, I love y'all. They reach their peak in high school and college. You know, you got no money, ain't got no job, can't live off your parents' money anymore. And what a moocher will do is every time you go to eat after church, you're like, oh, let's go get some Mexican food because I got chips and salsa for free. And as they're eating the chips and salsa, they're staring at your burrito that you're trying to eat. You're like, hey man, can you take a picture? It lasts longer. I'm trying to eat my burrito with queso on top. If you keep staring, I'm just gonna give it to you, okay? Quit. But they keep looking. You know, I have friends who would come to my house and take out clothes that I still had the tag on, take the tag on, go out, wear it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks so familiar. It's my jacket. My mom just bought it for me for Christmas. Now it's New Year's Eve and you're wearing it. Thanks a lot, moocher. Moochers, they express themselves in a lot of different ways, but I actually, I wanted to like look up what a moocher was. So I went to the most trusted site that all of us look at every day and, and Wikipedia told me three definitions <laughs> for a moocher. There's these three definitions and I wanna, we'll, we'll show it on the screen, 
But here's number one, a moocher or a mooch is someone who wants everything for free, free 99. Someone who wants everything for free. Number two, it's someone who wants other people to pay his or her way. Yikes. Someone who wants people to pay his or her way. Number three, this is actually my favorite. Um, it's probably the, it was the longest one. That's why it's my favorite. It's so spiritual. Number three, it says someone who takes and takes and takes but doesn't give back. And then there are these parentheses in, in the definition. It says they don't bring anything to the table. They take and they take and they take. These are moochers, but they never give back. And I want you to go there with me because as I was reading this story in John chapter 6 of how there were 5,000 people sitting in a field listening to Jesus preach and teach. They're with them all day. And then all of a sudden it's dinner time and Golden Corral pops up. They had nothing to eat. There was no Chick-fil-A around. There was no Chipotle. There was no Zoe's. There was no Town Center. They were in the middle of nowhere. And then Golden Corral, Red Lobster, here you go. Thank you, Jesus. Because what they didn't see, here's what you got to know. I think that they could become moochers because one person brought something to the table that fed 5,000 people. But in their mind, here's what happens. Let's just go there. Let's imagine this story. You're sitting in a field. You're listening to Jesus teach and preach. You get hungry, and then all you see is a buffet. In your mind, no one else had a part to play. And no, in no way did the boy have a part in this miracle. This is Jesus' miracle. Jesus was the beginning and the end of this miracle. Jesus was the author and perfecter of this miracle. Jesus was everything in this miracle, but I'm here to say that, could be more, that couldn't be more false. Because Jesus was the perfecter of this miracle, but he wasn't the beginning of this miracle. The beginning of this miracle was in the morning when that little boy woke up before he went on his road trip to see Jesus. He said, you know what, at some point today, I need something to eat. So I'm going to pack my lunch and pack a meal. This was the beginning of the miracle. The beginning of the miracle was found in the little boy, not in Jesus. And I think sometimes as a church, that's where we can miss the, bo the boat. We can think Jesus is the beginning and the end of the miracle. In some ways that's true, but in some ways that's false. Because in the story, Jesus took little and made much. He didn't take nothing and make much. I think we think sometimes where God can take nothing and make much. God took little and made much here. If God took nothing and make much, then why did he use his words to create the heavens? Then why did he need dirt to create mankind? And why would he need his breath for the heavens? Because God shows us a principle in his kingdom that he will make much, but he needs a little first. It's not just nothing. And this little boy, he brought his meal. He, his, he brought his meal to Jesus. And when he brought his meal to Jesus, Jesus started to do a lot with it. And this is where I think sometimes my prayers have been off in the kingdom of God, because I've prayed to God, God, do a supernatural work in my life. God, give me your power. Give me your miracles. And God's saying, I'll give you my miracles if you just give me your meal. We're saying, God, I want a supernatural work. I want your supernatural power. And God says, okay, if you want a supernatural work of God, you got to have a natural work of man. Pastor Stovall says it best, before there's a move of God, there's a move of man. Heaven is open when earth tries to become more like heaven. You know, it says on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven's not the issue. The power of God's not the issue. The supernatural works of God, the miracles of God are not the issue. The meals are the issue. And when I read this story, as sad as it is to say, I start to see a little bit of the picture of the church in today's generation. 
where there are a lot of moochers and not enough packers. Where a church could be built and a church could be, I would just say sustained, the, congregate, the congregation could be mooching off the senior pastor's revelation. Because here's what is the reality, that this little boy's meal fed 5,000 people. That is true. But what would happen if all 5,000 of those people would have prepared their own meal in that city? If one fed 5,000, how many could 5,000 feed? The same thing with the church. Pastor Stovall's meal can feed this church, but your meal can feed someone else. It is not just built off one person's revelation. And sometimes the church can get caught in that where we're living and breathing off someone else's revelation. When God is asking us to eat food, we're actually just taking someone else's crumbles. And here is what God wants. God wants us to pack a lunch. Because he says this in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 37, he says, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, church. There are so many miracles. There are so many move of God, moves of God in this city. But here's the issue. He says, if you pray for anything, don't pray for the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. A better way to say it for this story is the miracles of God, they're, they're plentiful. The meals are few. We would have more miracles if God had more meals. We would have more supernatural work of God if we had more natural work of man. And this is what you see in this story. And I think there's so many times where we can get caught in that as a church. And I'm not saying as celebration church, because you guys are amazing, but I'm saying the church as a whole, like let's not rely on our senior pastor's revelation. Let's bring something of, of ourselves to the table. Like let's not be a moocher who takes and takes and takes and never give. What I wanna do, and I think what you wanna do is you wanna bring something to the table. So what do you bring to the table? Same thing the little boy brought, something small wasn't that much. It wasn't extraordinary. It was really ordinary. But he packed a lunch. He brought his meal, and Jesus took his meal and made a miracle. And today I want to talk to you about what do you do when you pack a lunch? How do you pack a lunch? What is it in your life that you need to pack a meal? There are three elements you see in every meal. Whether you're packing a bologna sandwich or some from Native Son, much better than a bologna sandwich. No matter what you're packing, if it's a Lunchable for you kids or some Ruth's Chris for you rich people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no matter what you're packing, there are three elements in every single lunch. And I want you to take notes on these three elements because this is the charge that God is asking us to do as a church, to be more like this little boy and less like the 4,999 moochers in this story who just relied on his meal to feed everybody. Because Jacksonville is a big place and it needs more meals. It needs your meal. It needs this church. If you're going to pack a lunch, there are three elements. The first element you need in every single meal is something to eat. No matter what you're packing, no matter what you're packing for or how you're packing, you need something to eat. The reason you need something to eat is for your hunger. It's to, it's to satisfy your hunger. It's to feed you. And in the Bible, it shows us what we should eat as Christians. In the natural, you need food. In the supernatural, you need truth. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, when he's being tested, let's just remember, he's being tempted for 40 days. He's in 40 days, no food, no water. And Jesus says this thing. If you're going to live your life, you can't live your life on bread alone, but you can live it on every word that comes out of my mouth. So you want to know what there is to eat for you in your life? My word, my truth. 
Later in the chapter of John chapter 6, John chapter 6, it goes from the feeding of the 5,000 to Jesus walking on water. Then the next passage is this thing called the bread of life. And Jesus says, if you never want to hunger again, if you want to live life on this earth to the full, here's what you need to eat, me, the bread of life, the word of God, the truth of God. There's so many people who are looking to find food in their supernatural life, and they're neglecting the meal that God gave us. This is the meal that he left from heaven to earth so that we could find fulfillment and nutrition in our spiritual walk. Because the reason you need this, the reason you need this book that is alive, that is sharper than a two-edged sword, is because God wants you to get some truth in your life. Because what does truth lead to? Freedom. Truth shall set you free. And the reason you need truth is because we have an opposition who is the father of lies. And if you don't have truth in your life, if you don't have a foundation of truth, you'll never be able to identify a lie. So why do you need something to eat? Because lies are coming at you and you'll never be able to distinguish what is true, what is lie, who I am and who I'm not. You need something to eat in your life because truth is the foundation for freedom. Truth is the foundation to your life. We gotta have something to eat. What you eat is very important, it's really important. I like Krispy Kreme donuts, so I'm not the most healthy person in the world. Hotline's on, that could only mean one thing. <laughs> what you eat is really important. But when you talk to nutritionists, when you eat is just as important. And in the natural, you can't just eat once a week and be healthy. Like imagine trying to live life eating once a week and trying to let that sustain the rest of your week. You would be a malnourished and someone who is weak, who has no nutrition, and it's just you're not going to make it. But I think there's a lot of times in the church where we can eat once a week in the supernatural and try to walk out this Christianity thing. Where we come to church once a week and we hear one thing, we have one meal prepared, and we try to have that sustain the rest of our week. Pa Pastor Stovall prepares a meal to be your dessert, not your nutrition. The reason we have church on Sunday is to congregate and just to have fellowship. This is not to be your only meal. So what you need to do is go home and feed yourself. The best pastors don't feed you. The best pastors teach you how to eat. And what you need to do is you need to take in truth for your own life because I'm here to tell you, you will never make it in this world eating once a week. You will never make it in this, this Christianity thing, coming to church and let that, that being the only scripture. So you don't know a lot of the, about the Bible? Okay, neither do I. Find one verse that you just ponder on for a week. And every day, let it meditate in your mind and meditate on your lips. And I guarantee you, you will say, man, I'm so much more healthier the more I eat. Gosh, my life looks so much different. Every meal has something to eat. Number two, every meal has something to drink. Every meal has something to drink. And, drink, and when you drink something, it has three benef benefits from it. I looked this up on Wikipedia again, my good friend. <laughs> and when you drink something, it can do one of three things. It can be hydration, it can be digestion, or it can be for refreshment. Hydration. So when you think about hydration, what is the only substance that can hydrate you? Water. What is the only thing that can satisfy your soul? Jesus. Psalm ch chapter 23, David speaking, he says, the Lord is my shepherd and he does what? Satisfies my soul. He, dry, he hydrates my soul. And my fear is that we're not drinking from the right things and in the right ways. And we're wondering, why don't we have hydration? And it's because we're not drinking from the right well. 
We're drinking from the wrong fountain. We're drinking Coca-Cola products as if this was ever meant to hydrate you. Coca-Cola is refreshment, not hydration. And what Coca-Cola does is when you drink Coca-Cola, it tastes good in the moment. A good cold Coke is unbelievable. But the thing is, is when I drink a Coke, two hours later, I'm left more thirsty than when I drank it in the first place. And I think a lot of times that's the same with your spiritual journey. You're drinking Coke as if that's the thing that hydrates you. It will never hydrate you. The thing of this world, the well of this world is never going to satisfy your soul. The only thing that you should drink of is Jesus Christ and him alone. You find that in the story of the woman at the well. This woman, how many of you know the story? The woman at the well. She has five husbands. She's thirsty in a lot of ways. She has five husbands. And the guy, you guys can't handle that stuff. <laughs> Come on, y'all are way more relevant than we give y'all credit for. This thirsty girl has five husbands. And the guy she's with, her sixth guy, isn't her husband. She has six guys. And Jesus encounters her at the well of Jacob. And she's drawing from the well at noon because she was trying to hide in her shame and her sin. And she's drawing from this well, and Jesus says, can I have a drink? And long story short, the woman says, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, hold on, you're, you're really thirsty. Your soul is thirsty. Your soul has been parching for water, and you keep drinking Coca-Cola. Those, those men and this well will never satisfy you. If you want to find hydration in this life, here's the only thing that you can find hydration in, me. And if you drink of this water that I give you, you will never thirst again. Church, I'm here to tell you, you can never thirst again if you drink from the right well. But my fear is that we keep going back to the well of Jacob and then we're going back into the world wondering why are we so thirsty? Because the well of Jacob was never meant to satisfy your soul. It is the well of the Holy Spirit and the well of Jesus that he says is now in you that is gonna satisfy your soul. That's the only thing that matters. Coca-Cola will never do it. This world doesn't need more Coca-Cola products from the church. This world needs more water. It needs more Jesus. Let's just make a commitment to stop trying to sell the world on Coca-Cola as if it will hydrate them. Like, let's, let's try. This will never work. So drinking can do one of three things. Hydrate you can be for digestion or for refreshment. I'm going to skip past digestion, but I'm going to go to refreshment. Hydration is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. But refreshment is found in serving. And I know that to be true because Proverbs 11 verse 25 says, those who refresh others will also be refreshed. They will be refreshed. And early on in my Christianity, I was praying to God, God, will you refresh me? And he was asking, why aren't you refreshing them? Because you will find refreshment in refreshing them, but you won't find refreshment in sitting on your couch. You want to know how the best, the best way to find refreshment in this world? Serving. July 16th, I guarantee you, I promise you, will be the most fulfilled day of your life if you step out of your comfort zone and join Serve Day and say, I'm just going to serve people because at the end of that day, you think you're going to be weary, but you're actually going to be refreshed. Because the Bible has a promise, not a suggestion, not a just thought. It says those who refresh others will also be refreshed. Why do you think all the people who serve here on, at church are so happy? Because they're being refreshed as they're refreshing you. Today is your perfect day to get plugged into serving. It is step four of the growth track. 
where you can find how to serve. You can find refreshment in your life. Stop trying to find refreshment in yourself, in your spouse, in any other thing but serving. When you give your life, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give. That's how I'm refreshed. And God have something to eat. Church, I think there are times where we're looking for firsthand freedom on secondhand revelation. Where we're looking for firsthand peace on secondhand prayer. We're looking for firsthand joy on secondhand praise. We're even looking for firsthand access to the kingdom of God on a secondhand relationship of someone else's revelation. You gotta have something to eat because if we're looking for firsthand benefits, we better have a firsthand relationship. You gotta have something to eat, you better have something to drink. In a meal, you have to have something to drink to hydrate you and to, to digest your food and to refresh you. But lastly, every meal, this is my favorite part of this, this meal. Every meal has something to clean with. Think about it. When you pack a lunch, you're going to bring something to eat, something to drink. But you're always going to bring a napkin. Why do you bring a napkin? Because every meal has a mess. And really, when you think about it, John chapter 6, every miracle creates a mess. Because the disciples, they handed out this miracle, they handed out this food to the 5,000 people. But at the end of the story, Jesus doesn't leave it at them just handing out food. He says this, go clean up the mess, let nothing be wasted, I want no leftovers. There are no leftovers in the kingdom of God. The disciples actually spent more time cleaning up the mess than they did handing out the miracle. And there are a lot of times in church where we can want the miracle of God and God said, I'll give you a miracle if you're willing to deal with the mess. If you'll just handle the mess, I'll give you the miracle. If you're willing to clean up someone else's mess, I will give you miracle after miracle after miracle after feeding, after feeding, after healing, after healing. But you gotta be willing to have the mess. Every meal has something to clean with. You think about these napkins, every time you bring a napkin, you know, if you're a parent, you know this. And if you read John chapter 6, you know this as well. Usually the mess that God asks you to clean, you never created. Like the mess that these disciples cleaned, they didn't even cause it. They didn't create the mess, but God said, you're here to clean it. With your kids, you have to clean a lot of messes you didn't create. And that is a picture of what the gospel is. The, uh, the gospel is God asking you to clean up a mess that you didn't create. So when there's a shooting in Orlando, Celebration Church can say, you know what? I had no part in this, but God gave me a napkin and I'm gonna help clean. Because the reality is, is if you're the only person who packs something to eat and something to drink, you're the only person with the utensil of cleaning. If you're the only one with a relationship with Jesus, then you're the only person who truly knows grace. If you're the only person with a relationship with Jesus, you're the only person who knows unending love and forgiveness and, sa and sacrifice. And God is gonna ask you to clean up some messes in people's lives that you did not create. What God needs in this world is more, more kingdom janitors and custodians. The reason I say that is here's what I think happens today. I think God gives a mess to a city and asks a church to clean it up. And the church just goes to the mess and sets up a caution sign and tells the world, hey world, there's a mess right here, but I'm stepping back. You see this mess? Oh my goodness, this is so messy. This is so bad. Slippery, wind wet. Don't walk over here. If you come over here, you better know that there's a chance you could get hurt. And too many Christians are just putting up caution signs in the world. I just broke it. 
They're putting up caution signs saying, hey, hey, don't come over here. You don't want to mess with this. But church, what would it look like if we were to put down the caution sign like I just did and start picking up a mop in our city? I said, hey, this mess right here, this mess you, you see, I didn't have anything to do with it, but I'm going to pick up a mop. This, this place at serve day, I had nothing to do with why it's so impoverished, but I'm going to go and I'm going to serve. Because God is going to ask us to clean some messes we didn't create. The, re the reason I know that to be true is there was this mess called sin. The greatest mess that you and I have ever experienced or will ever see is this thing called sin. The beginning of man, Adam and Eve fell. And from there, they caused this mess called sin and interrupted and, and corrupted the world. And all of us were born into it. And the reason I know Jesus asked people to clean messes they didn't create is because Jesus came from heaven in his divinity and in his kingdom and on his throne and left this to come clean up a mess he had nothing to do with. He says, that mess that mankind is in, I have to go if in, in order for it to be cleaned. And if I want the world to be better, if I want the world to experience me, then I have to go clean it. I didn't create it, God. I'm not asking for this mess, but I got to clean it. You and I had a mess cleaned that we had no part in. Jesus cleaned our mess. Some napkins in your life, the way that napkins might express itself, the way that cleaning utensils might express itself is asking you to honor a boss that's not honorable. Asking you to forgive a family member who betrayed you. Maybe even forgive your parents for the divorce that you had no part in. They might ask you to, to show mercy to the, to the ruthless. He might ask you to love the unlovable. He might ask you to go out of your way to talk to someone who is completely in isolation. God's gonna say, if you wanna pack a lunch, if you wanna bring something to the table in Jacksonville, you better be willing to have a napkin in your hand. Because there are people outside of this church and even in this church today who are in a mess and they will not get out of it unless you step in. The thing that's not gonna help them is caution signs. Hey, I caution you from the mess you're in kick down the sign and start picking up a mop and watch people walk in freedom. You gotta have something to eat. You gotta have something to drink. Lastly, you gotta have something to clean with. God is asking us as a church to pack our lunch because if one fed 5,000, how many could all of our meals feed? Like what would this world look like if you and I were to just bring something to eat and something to drink and something to clean with every single day? Like if we were to stop being moochers and to start being partakers in the miracle, what would God do in your family if you just simply brought revelation of Jesus Christ? Prayer for the wayward sons. Peace for the people who are in chaos. Church, what would it look like? What would this world look like if the church stepped up today and stopped relying on our pastor's revelation and started having it for ourselves? Because what I know about the Bible, it says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead doesn't just live in Pastor Stovall, it lives in you. <laughs> Last thing, I'm gonna close here. I'm gonna turn to Mark chapter six. And as I turn there, I wanna, I wanna say this to some of you. I think the biggest reason why some of us don't pack our lunch is because we despise what's in our fridge. You hate what you have. You hate the gifts God's given you. You hate the family that God's placed you in. You hate the workplace that you're, you're, you're working at right now. 
And here's what I know about the little boy. The little boy didn't wish for another meal. He packed the meal that he had in his fridge. So you might have a tuna sandwich and want a chicken sandwich. Guess what? God wants the tuna sandwich that's in your fridge, not the chicken sandwich that's in someone else's fridge. If God's going to prepare a miracle in this city, it's going to be from what's in your fridge and nothing else. So I think for me in my life, it's time that I, start wi I stop wishing for what I don't have and start thanking God for what I do have. Like, it's just super simple. If I just took what I have, I just took the little that I have and gave it to God, He can make much. But He's not going to make much out of nothing. He's not going to make a miracle of the meal being in the fridge. He needs it to come out and He needs you to step out. Mark chapter 6, it says this. It's another, it's another recording of this story, the feeding of the 5,000. And I want to bring your attention to two things. In this scripture, verse 41 you see two preceding acts that lead to the miracle. You see the password, and you see the preparation to every miracle of God. It says, taking the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. Jesus took the loaves, took the fish, and the first thing he did was gave thanks. As if to show us what the password to heaven is. What Psalm, what Psalm 100 says, that if you want to enter into the gates of heaven, if you want to enter into the gates of the Lord, here's how you enter into them, thanksgiving. And I think there are times that we're missing out on the access of God because we're using the wrong password. We're trying to get to heaven through a password of prayer, the password of religious, the password of all these other things. And God says, if you want to enter in my kingdom, if you want to enter in my power, enter in my miracle, there's one thing and one thing alone. The way that your fridge goes from a meal to a miracle is one thing. The password is thankfulness. And you just thank God for what you have. You say, God, I thank you for life that some people in Orlando don't have. I thank you for one parent that some people in orphanages don't have. And we're so caught up in thinking and wishing for what we don't have. And God says, what if the thing in your life, like what if we had, what we had tomorrow was only what we thank God for today? Like what would we have if all we had was what we were thankful for? Thankfulness is the password. But my favorite part, you can keep the verse up there, guys. It says he took the loaves, took the fish, he gave thanks, and this is the password. But Jesus also shows us the preparation to what a miracle can look like. And he grabbed the loaves and it said he started to break them. After he looked up to heaven, he said, God, I thank you for this. The preceding step was to break the loaf. And all the disciples and all, all the, I could imagine the little boy looking at Jesus saying, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you dividing up the bread? Why are you breaking it apart? Why are you doing this? It's whole right now. Why would you break it apart? And as Jesus was breaking apart the bread, everybody's looking at the bread as if it's division. But what God shows you is he's not about division. When he breaks things apart, it is not dividing it up. It is multiplying it. You think that God is breaking you down right now, but what you think is being broken down is actually being built up. Because when God starts to break things, what he is doing is he's preparing a miracle. So right now you might be in a situation where you say, you know what, my family is broken. I have found myself in a season of brokenness. Guess what, God's preparing you for a miracle. Your family, your finances are being broken. You're being prepared for a miracle. 
Your future is being broken. You're being prepared for a miracle because before Jesus ever gave the fish and the loaves to the disciples, he says, thank you, God, and then let me break them because I'm not dividing things in the kingdom. I'm multiplying. I'm a God of multiplication. I don't break things apart just to leave them hanging. I break them apart to make them better. So I don't care what, what brokenness you're in. It says that joy may come right now. It may come in the night, but oh my gosh, God loves you so much. You might be broken. You might be hurting. You might be facing a situation where you need healing. Your health is broken. Your family is broken. You are in preparation for a miracle where what was a meal is now a miracle. What was fed one people now is feeding 5,000 people. Come on church, why don't you thank God? Why don't you start entering into heaven with his password, saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've given me. Come on, why don't you thank God with your own voice. Thank God for what he's given you, for the meal that you have, for what is in your fridge. Why don't you stand up, worship God. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.